The diocese is gradually reopening parishes for weekday masses. Will you rush right out or will you take a wait and see approach? Mother's Day is here. Do you honor your mother all the time? How about the Blessed Virgin Mary? May is also a time for ordinations. We'll discuss the Sacrament of Holy Orders. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Bishop, it's good to see you again, as always. John, great to be with you today. So, big news came out uh, recently about the reopening of churches for worship at a certain level. Yeah, so big news and I hope good news for, uh, the, faith, for the faithful of our diocese. We just announced that beginning Monday, May 11th, we're going to begin the celebration of daily mass at our parishes, or we've given permission for that to happen. So that'll start on Monday, May 11th. We're going to start with daily mass and see how that goes and continue to monitor the health situation here in our area and in the state of Florida, continue to pay attention to what our our government and, and health officials are saying before we make the decision to come back for Sunday mass. But I hope that's not too far in the offing as well. Was the decision based on, I'm sure it was based on consultation from your group, watching what the government is saying, but were you influenced by letters and emails and comments? Well, sure. You can imagine, since we made the decision to suspend masses, I've heard from uh, many different people, all with, you know, some similar opinions, some different. You know, some of the faithful felt that we never should have closed or suspended masses and were urging me to begin them as soon as possible. And then there were others that were thanking me for making that decision, which was, as I've shared before, a very difficult decision to make to suspend masses due to health uh, concerns. So that was part of the deliberation, but but ultimately it was in consultation with priests of our diocese, with my leadership team, of course, paying attention to what the governor and, and our officials are saying, and uh, just trying to find a way to get back to church, because I know that's important for the faithful, it's important for our priests and deacons and religious, and um, we need it you know, in our lives. I mean, I, I think the live streaming has been helpful to be able to stay somewhat connected to our faith, to our spiritual lives, but there really is no substitute for being able to actually come to church and, and to receive the Eucharist. So we'll start that on Monday. Typically during the week, you don't see a lot of crowd. You might have, depending on the size of the parish, anywhere from 10 to maybe 50 people that would come. Do you expect bigger crowds on Monday and, and the following days? I think uh, perhaps next week, because it'll be the first week that some of our parishes will be offering Mass, we may see increased numbers, but I I don't suspect or expect uh, that we're going to be overrun. One of the things that we are asking our parishes to do in conjunction with the guidance that Governor DeSantis has issued for Phase 1 reopening in Florida is to limit capacity. We're asking our pastors not to exceed a 25% occupancy level for our churches or social halls if they choose to have mass there. So we'll be observing social distancing between individuals and households or families who are able to sit together, but they would need to be spaced uh, six feet from the, the nearest person to them. And there's many, many other protocols and guidelines that our parishes will be following. So the faithful, when they come back, are going to notice some changes. 
but not things that are dissimilar to what they've experienced when they go shopping or to other places that are observing distancing. So if a parish hits the number that you're speaking of for capacity and there's still people waiting outside, some parishes are equipped with loudspeakers outside in a courtyard where they can hear mass. Will they still be able to come in and receive communion? I think the local pastor would would try to accommodate those needs. And I, I would expect in those cases, if the faithful were willing to wait outside the church, that certainly after mass, that they, they could receive the Eucharist at that point. What about the distribution? How will that be handled? Well, first of all, our, we, we've asked our ministers, our priests and uh, Eucharistic ministers to wear masks during the distribution of, of Holy Communion. You can either receive in the hand or on the tongue. That's uh, going to be offering both of those options. And, and I've asked the uh, pastors to make provision for that. We will not be distributing the precious blood. So uh, there'll be no chalices available at this time. But communion will be as normal, I would say, if a uh, one of the faithful is wearing a mask. We just ask that they remove it at the time they come up for communion, and then they can put it back on. So, Many of our faithful say, well, I don't want to catch it from someone in the pews. They're a little bit nervous. And we talk about the vulnerable and the elderly and so forth. And we've got some, some priests and pastors that are up there in age and not in the best of health, quite frankly. Are they fearful as well? So I checked with my priests about a week ago, and, and as I was contemplating making this decision, and I asked them, if we were to begin the celebration of daily Mass publicly, would they have any issues because of health or other uh, concerns? I have to be honest, John, I, I didn't hear back from any of them that said to me that they wouldn't be able Good. to celebrate Mass. I, I think they could certainly be the celebrant at Mass. They may not distribute Holy Communion, so they might ask a deacon or another priest, maybe a younger priest in the parish sure. if they have one to assist with that, or, or even a, a extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. So safety has to be a priority, and, and we don't want to put anybody at undue risk. So we're going to try to accommodate, make accommodations for those concerns. And I would just add for for those listening, first of all, you're not required to go to daily mass. It's just a, it's an option that's available as we, we begin to get back. But I do urge our listeners, if, if you are in one of the higher risk groups because of age or compromised immunity or other health issues, or if you just have a, a, a great deal of fear or anxiety please stay at home. Don't feel any pressure to, to come back to church. We're going to continue to live stream the masses. I've asked our pastors to do that on, on Sunday, and I have extended the uh, dispensation from the Sunday obligation. So nobody should feel that they have to come back to church just because we're opening our doors back up. What about collection baskets? Well, usually we pass up and down the aisle the basket. Will one be placed out in the center of the church instead? Uh, so uh, what we've asked is that our churches not pass baskets or plates. Some still have the, um, I, I remember them from when I was a kid on, on the uh, kind of a pole, oh, you yeah. know, that the ushers yeah, would sure. come by. And, uh, that might be an option. But I think more commonly, uh, a basket or a box will be placed either at the front of the church or at the exit where the faithful can put their offering in there. So we will continue that. 
Some of the other changes, there will be no hand-holding at the Our Father. That's something that a lot of churches do, although it's not prescribed in the Mass that, right. that, that people do that. But there'll be no physical contact or hand-holding. And the sign of peace uh, will be suspended. So there'll be no shaking hands or hugging, obviously. At that time, we'll go right from the sign of peace directly to the Lamb of God. Altar servers? We will have uh, altar servers if needed, but again, we would apply the same guidelines and protocols to them to make sure that they're safe. I don't think too much at daily mass that we would have altar yeah, servers right. usually, but once we get back on Sunday. Kids are out of school. That's why I bring that up. You know, And this is an opportunity why I think you might see more people because there are some parents that are at home. And this is, if nothing else, an opportunity to get the kids back to church and get out of the house. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's a good practical point you're making, John. And, and we'd love to have our children sure. come, come to mass, but uh, maybe not serve right at this time. And I guess the same protocol would go for weddings and funerals. We're still on a wait and see. Well, we've given permission for our parishes to start celebrating those sacraments. But again, they need to observe the guidelines and protocols that they've been given with regard to social distancing and limiting large gatherings. So just up to 25% capacity mm-hmm. in a church building or in a chapel. Now, weddings and funerals, even baptisms can, can take place. Those who are supposed to be initiated at the Easter vigil, we can start bringing them into the faith at this point observing, again, the distancing and the, and the guidelines. It's frustrating, isn't it? Well, it, it is, but we're trying to be creative in a safe and kind of gradual way to find ways to minister to our people and to bring them the sacraments. I mean, that's ultimately what we do as a church is we, we pray and we are instruments of God's grace through the sacraments. Pentecost is this month. It's a big month for the church because it's also a Marian month. And a few weeks back, the USCCB announced that they wanted the country to be consecrated to Mary. And we'd already done that last year, or year before last, actually. We already had on the calendar an event that uh, went off very well on uh, May 2nd. Sure, that was the uh, the Marian Congress, and this was our second annual Marian Congress. Uh, as you mentioned, John, uh, two years ago for the 50th anniversary of our diocese, we consecrated our diocese to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and renewed that last year. And then, as you said, uh, Archbishop Gomez, who's the president of the Bishops' Conference here in the United States, in conjunction with the Bishops' Conference in Canada, we both consecrated our countries. Now, I use the word consecrated, but the U.S. has already been consecrated and had been consecrated on a number of occasions to Mary under different titles. So this was really a renewal of our consecration to the Blessed Mother. So he did that on a Friday, and then uh, we participated by doing the prayer of consecration during our Marian Congress. And if you didn't get a chance to see it, I believe it's still on the diocesan website. If you do dosp.org slash heart of Mary, you'll be able to see the talks that were given by Father Carlos Rojas, the rosary, the mass celebrated by uh, you, Bishop, and it looked great. It was. And one of the things that I shared during my homily was that when we thought about the Marian Congress this year, it would have been very easy to cancel it, as so many other events have been canceled. But on the other hand, I thought it seemed more important than ever to look to our Blessed Mother and to ask for her help and her intercession during this time of need. 
So we found a way to do it, to have kind of a virtual Marian Congress where people were able to go online to listen to the talks, as you mentioned, and and also then participate in the, in the celebration of Mass. So we also had an international rosary with the rosary being pr- prayed in five different languages. So it, it was about a half a day event. So it was a little bit abbreviated from last year. And I hope next year we can get back to a more normal celebration of that event. So you, you've heard the phrase May crowning something that a lot of churches did, most all of them did, in fact, back uh, a generation or two ago. You don't quite see it as much, but it took place this past weekend. We did. It's very traditional on usually the first weekend of May to have a May crowning in, in the parishes or in Catholic schools. Now, in my last parish where I was before becoming a bishop, we did it every year. Mm -hmm. And typically we'd have a couple of our first communicants. So a boy and a girl who received their first communion would get dressed up so they get to wear their first communion outfits another time. And they would come up and place either a crown or a wreath of flowers on Blessed Mother's head as a way of honoring her and and showing her respect for, for all that she does for us. So for our non-Catholic listeners or those that maybe don't quite understand, it, you know, it looks like, well, there, there's Catholics worshiping Mary again. Uh, explain the difference between honoring, venerating, worshiping, that sort of thing. Sure. So there's veneration, uh, which we venerate statues or images, uh, things of that nature. That's more showing honor or respect. Worship is a higher level, and that's reserved usually for God. So we, we don't worship individuals where we shouldn't do that. Uh, sometimes we, we use those words, but, sure. but really at the core of their meeting, worship would be reserved for a deity, in our case, for, for God our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the, the worship that we give to God is different than that respect or honor that we show to our Blessed Mother and to the saints and to relics and to images and statues. While Jesus was on the cross, He told the blessed disciple, the beloved disciple, John, behold your mother, and to Mary, behold your son, the beloved disciple. And we see in that interaction that our Lord wanted there to be a close relationship between Mary and the church and between each one of us. And so we pray to her, we ask for her help and intercession, knowing that there is a maternal love for each one of us. And of course, as I sometimes say in a, in a little bit of a loose way, you know, um, what son could refuse what the mother asks? That's you right, know, usually, right. usually we do what our mom asks us to sure. do. So, uh, and and I again, I'll say like uh, if I've got an issue, I might say, Bishop, can I've got a situation going on at home? Would you pray for me and and for that situation? We do it with our our radio ministry. We've done it uh, during the COVID nineteen here at the diocese, where we're we're praying for your intentions as well on our on our courageously praying prayer wall. So that's kind of how we look at it as Catholics, I think. Yeah, that's that's correct, John. May is also traditionally a month where we see a number of our men become ordained as, as priests. Uh, this year, because of the situation, that uh, ordination ceremony has been moved to August 15th, I believe it is. And But I did want to touch on the priesthood, and I had some quick questions about that. Why are holy orders a sacrament? I mean, and why do we call them holy orders? So uh, sacrament, of course, is uh, instituted by Christ, you know, and given to us, given to the church as a gift for a specific purpose to give us grace. 
Holy Orders was uh, the priesthood, we believe, was established by Jesus Christ, who he appointed his closest followers, the, the disciples, his apostles, you know, and gave them the power of the sacramental priesthood. So uh, the reason for that, of course, was to perpetuate the Eucharist and to be able to continue to provide that to the faithful uh, for spiritual nourishment and for grace. So again, it's a sacrament which is instituted by Christ, communicates grace, and there's for a specific purpose, in this case to provide for the sacramental needs of the church. So some, while you might be called to the sacrament of marriage, you wouldn't be called to the sacrament of holy orders, but in some regard, you are a priest is married to the church. So there's, uh, of course, the sacramental priesthood and then the priesthood of the faithful for who offer worship, and but not in a sacramental way. So What's there, the difference there? Well, the difference is that um, the, the sacramental priesthood, we actually bring about the sacraments. Uh, we're instruments of God's grace. We act in the person of Jesus Christ, whereas a married person doesn't do that, although through their worship and through their prayer, in, in a certain sense, they act in that okay. common priesthood among the people. Okay. I would also just remind our, our listeners that in the Catholic Church, we do have married priests. We may have talked about that on another occasion, but could be a case where you have a priest from another denomination, like an Episcopal priest or an Anglican priest who becomes Catholic and then desires or requests to be ordained a priest in the Catholic Church. And if they're already married, they would be ordained as a married priest. Also, in the Eastern Rites of the Catholic Church, priests can be married as well. So it's uh, marriages, or celibacy rather, is not of the essence of priesthood. So priests can be married. It's a discipline that we, in the Latin Rite, in the Roman Rite, embrace really as a gift, which we say enables us to serve God and to serve his people with an undivided heart. What's the difference between a diaconate ordination and a priest ordination? With regard to the sacrament of holy orders, there's different grades, we would say, or different steps that we go through. So diaconate is the first one, and we have both what we call transitional deacons who are ultimately going to be ordained priests, as well as permanent deacons, which are very often men who are married and have families, and they'll remain in that diaconal state for the remainder of their life. But in diaconate, we're ordained to service. And in the priesthood, we're ordained to sacramental ministry. So there are some similarities between the two. Like for at the diaconate, the promise of obedience is made. The promise of celibacy is made at diaconate. I mean, in a certain sense, they're renewed when somebody's ordained a priest. But there is a close connection between the two. One enhances or comes after the other. Why is the sacrament of holy orders not just a job? But it's more than a job. It's a, it is. It's a calling, which is why we use the word vocation. And uh, we believe that, that God calls individuals to be priests, but he also calls individuals to be married, to the married life or married state. And some individuals are called to be single and to give witness to love and charity through the way that they live their lives. 
So just as you would not, uh, I hope you wouldn't, describe your marriage as a job, uh, probably your wife, John, wouldn't appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you this, it takes work. <laughs> it does take work, but <laughs> but it's different. You That's know what right, I'm saying? right. I'm so not it's earning really, a paycheck. It, it's just, it's not something that we do. It's more of a state of being. Sure. So that, that would be the difference between a, a vocation or a calling from God, something that never leaves us. You know, when we go to our job, we come home. You never stop being married, and I never stop being a priest. So it just part of who becomes part of who we are. Well, and I think a lot of people here at the pastoral center of the diocese and those that are working in the fields at our parishes, they're getting a paycheck, but they're doing they're doing it for more than that. I think for them, it may be a calling as well. I mean, I can say that for myself. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I've often said that you don't work for the for the Catholic Church to get rich. You know, no, you <laughs> there, don't. Has, there has to be has to be something more to it. And and for most people, it is part of their call that they feel. Though they could work other places at other businesses and other careers, they feel that working within their faith and helping to spread the faith and to serve the church is their calling, is their vocation, and, and so they uh, find fulfillment in that. What's your anniversary date for the priesthood? It's June 26th, 1999. So it's, so it's a little later then. It was. I uh, Well, priests are usually ordained sometime in either May, June, or, June or July. Okay. Uh, mine was in late June because I was studying in Rome, mm. and their uh, academic year ends kind of towards the middle, early middle part of June. Okay. So I had to wait till I got back from Rome to be ordained by my bishop at that time in Orlando. Okay, and that's where all the priests... In Orlando, ordained at that time, or did they have a separate one just for you? No, 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 no. There was myself, and uh, I had a classmate who was ordained. He was also studying in Rome. Uh, and then we had a third classmate who was studying at the seminary in South Florida. And he very generously and graciously agreed to wait till the end of June to be ordained with us. So in those years of your priesthood, what's been the greatest joy for you? Well, I think for myself, uh, John, people often ask me that. What what do you love or what's the best thing about being a priest? And I think for me, I always go to this. As priests, we have the privilege of being with people at the most important moments of their life. You know, when you think about it from birth until death, uh, usually there's an opportunity for the priest to be there to celebrate sacraments, whether it's baptism, First Communion, you know, First Reconciliation, Confirmation, Marriage, Anointing of the Sick. So these very, very special moments and big moments in people's lives, we as priests really have a, a privileged position of being there and, and to somehow be an instrument of God's love and of His grace to His people at those very special moments. I consider that a privilege and a blessing of my priesthood. What's the biggest challenge of being a priest? Or what do you hear from some of the guys? Or what did you feel? What's, you know, it may not be a downtime, it's just a challenge for you. I think for me and maybe for a lot of priests is that we sometimes are pulled in so many different directions, you know, and I think sometimes we can get caught up in more like administrative and business kind of related things. And we have a desire to do the sacramental ministry, but you only have so much time. And and I think it's just that trying to maintain that balance between the practical things that we have to do to serve the church, to be a pastor or parochial vicar, but then also to do what we were ordained to do, which is to provide the sacraments to to God's people. Uh, that can be a challenge, and it can be a bit frustrating at times. I've heard different terms. There's the pastor, 
There's the Monsignor. There's Father. There's uh, Bishops. Uh, why the different names? <laughs> so, well, the church has titles, like um, other businesses would have titles, for example. The priest typically is referred to as father, the deacon as deacon. A monsignor is a priest who, because of his contributions to the church in some significant way, he served the church in a very special way, uh, is recognized with an honorary title called monsignor. doesn't give him any additional power <laughs> other than what a, a normal priest would have, but but we do recognize his service to the church by calling him Monsignor. Being a bishop is a little bit different. That's another grade of holy order. So you have diaconate, priesthood, and then the episcopacy, which we say is the, the fullness of the priesthood of holy orders. And so a bishop is referred to either as bishop or your excellency. And then, of course, you would have cardinals right. who are typically bishops who are given that title. Uh, again, it's a, a similar title to that of Monsignor. It's a recognition that a bishop is a bishop of a very large archdiocese, has a lot of responsibility, has made some contribution of some sort to the church in terms of the life of the church, and so he's given that title of cardinal. But unlike monsignors, actually, cardinals do have specific responsibilities and, and power. For example, they, they come together to elect a new pope in a conclave. So that is one of the great responsibilities that a, a cardinal uh, receives. I've often thought this question, why does the word cardinal come before his first name, I mean, or after his first name, like Timothy Cardinal Dolan? I've heard that in the media. I'm like, why do they do that? You know, John, that's a great question. You I don't think know it's that just, I don't. <laughs> I don't know that there's a, an actual practical reason why they do that. I think it's just part of the tradition of the church, and I might have to do a little research on that myself. Well, so. and even Monsignor. Now, I know that's a French word. When I went down to Haiti for an ordination of a bishop, and I was driving through the town, and they were they had big signs, "Congratulations, Monsignor." Yeah, and I didn't know if that was he wasn't a monsignor before, but I think they use that term interchangeably. Well, in some countries, I think I know in Europe, for example, they'll they'll refer to a bishop as monsignor. Okay, and then the word itself, as you can kind of derive, means my lord. You know, oh, which okay. is I didn't know that. just a title of respect. And uh, but sometimes that'll be used also to refer to a bishop as well as to a priest who who is a monsignor. We are all out of time, but I want to again thank you for your time today and sharing the exciting news about the churches that will be slowly reopening and uh, all the great things that are coming up with our ordinations coming up later this summer. And as we close today, would you uh, lead us in a prayer for our mothers as we celebrate and honor our mothers this Mother's Day? God, our Father, as we continue in this month of May, this month of Mary, we remember and pray for our own mothers who brought us into this world and who have cared for us in our lives. We ask your blessing upon them. May they find peace and fulfillment and happiness in their lives. We ask your healing upon any of our mothers who may be sick or ill at this time. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.